what does it mean? Why is it significant that Jesus came as God with us? Why is that title significant? We know that there's nothing in the gospel that is arbitrary, that's just random. It's not like, well, you know, I could do whatever, but I guess I'll just go down to them, right? Like that there was a real significance in Jesus being God who came down to dwell among us. And so that's what we're going to dig into this week and over the next couple of weeks, kind of exploring that from some, some different angles and some different standpoints. But, but why is it significant that God came to dwell among us? And, and why is that not only significant to the gospel and the, and the logic and the flow and the, and the beautiful mystery of the gospel, but why is that impactful to our lives here today? What, what difference is that going to make when I go out of church today and I leave and I go and I live my life in community and with my family and my neighbors why is it significant that God is Emmanuel, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? How does that change the way that I live my life? And so that's what, that's what we're going to explore. That's what we're going to dig into today. Will you join me in a word of prayer as we begin? Father, we thank you um, for this mystery of the gospel that it says over and over again in the New Testament that, uh, that this is the mystery that, that the angels longed to look into, that the, the spiritual powers that they, they desired to see, they knew that, that you were planning to reconcile people uh, to yourself, to offer forgiveness, but, but yet with the law and with, uh, with our sin, um, that it was a mystery how it was going to unfold. And then at Christmas time, you unfolded it in the coming of Jesus Christ. And we get the joy of living in an age where we understand, to some extent, the mystery. And we get to open up your word, and we get the privilege of exploring it and understanding how it, it transforms our hearts and transforms our lives. And uh, God, we're just so grateful for the gospel. And uh, I pray that we would just come with fresh hearts, fresh eyes, excited uh, for, for what you've done, filled with a new joy over Christmas, uh, and just filled with a renewed hope uh, that comes from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, something of an unusual Christmas passage uh, this morning. If you open up your Bibles and you turn to Genesis chapter 9, uh, we're going to go back. And really what I desire to do here is to explore what sometimes the best way to understand something is to understand what it isn't. You know, you get to know what it is by getting to know what it isn't. And so if it's significant that God came to dwell among us, that Emmanuel means God with us, God dwelling among us, then what the opposite of that would be us going to dwell with God, right? Us, us elevating ourselves to a position of coming into communion with God by, by elevating ourselves out of our state and growing up out of where we are uh, to be at a place with him. And so, so by understanding why that's the wrong path helps us to understand better why the only right path is for God to come and to dwell with us. And so we see this uh, probably most clearly of all in Scripture um, in this account that we're going to look at today in the book of Genesis. And, and we begin just by looking at Genesis chapter 9 in context. This is right after the flood. And so, um, so we believe and understand and know that, that Scripture is God's account of what has happened in the world. And so we don't believe that, uh, that Noah uh, and the ark is just a flannel graph story that we tell kids in Sunday school to teach them a moral lesson. We believe that this is a true biblical account of what actually happened, that Noah uh, was a real man who actually lived on the earth and who was actually saved by the grace of God uh, in the ark with his family and with the animals uh, as God punished uh, humankind for their sinfulness. And so coming out of the ark, and if you've seen the Noah movie uh, with... Uh, uh, what's his name, Russell Crowe, <laughs> um, they got the title right. <laughs> Probably wasn't much after that that was uh, historically accurate, uh, but I'll reference in a little bit. There were was, was some things in there that were kind of interesting that piqued my interest, but um, 
you know, the big thing that I loved about that movie, and there was a lot that was like just fictional and um, reminded me of the Lord of the Rings, but, uh, but the thing that I loved about that movie is that Noah in that movie was keenly aware that, that sin was going to keep going, right? That because his family was on the ark, sin was embedded in their heart, and even though God was wiping out the rest of humankind and all their rampant sinfulness, that, that they were just going to screw it up again. When they got out of the ark, their sin was going to carry forward. And, the, and, and so in the movie, Noah really wrestles with this, and he comes to some crazy conclusions about how to resolve it, right? But, um, but in that movie, I love that. That helped me understand the gospel a little bit better to think about, like, man, even Noah in that movie is crying out for, like, okay, even if God floods everybody out and saves the most righteous family on earth, sin still carries forward. And so that's a problem without a solution. And so the big solution that's, that's screaming out for in that movie is Jesus, but, um, but it's left unresolved, right? And for, but for those of us who understand the gospel, you can read that and, and, and see the movie, and you can be like, wow, that shows me even more how necessary Jesus is. But when Noah and his family get out of the ark, uh, in chapter 9 and verse 1, it says this. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so he gives them marching orders, right? He, they come out, and he said, hey, I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore by a flood. I'm going to give you the rainbow as a symbol of that. And then I, I have this task for you. I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply, and I want you to fill the earth. Fill the earth. And so the next couple chapters for the rest of 9 and, and for most of 10, it lays out the descendants and it says, hey, they had these kids and they had these kids and they went out. And we see in, in chapter 10, uh, going ahead, this won't be on the screen, but chapter 10, verse 5, it says, From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and their nations. And so we say, okay, good, they're listening. They're actually obeying God. They're doing what God told them to do, right? He said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And then we have this description of, hey, they're spreading out. They're going out to different places and dividing into different peoples and, and multiplying and filling the earth. So I'm like, man, good job. Good job, you guys. You're starting to get it, right? But then we get to chapter 11, and it's kind of like he backtracks a little bit. He's like, oh, just in case you thought that that happened really naturally and obediently, let me explain to you how that actually went down. And so we pick up the story in, uh, in, in chapter 11, verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen or bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they may not be able to understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. And therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So what we see here is they were not obedient at all. In fact, uh, God had given them a command and they decided to do their own thing and they were completely disobedient. And then God came in and said, okay, <laughs> If you're not going to do it willingly, then I will just, I'll do it. I'll, I'll disperse you. I'll, I'll, I'll split you up. And so, so as we look at this, the first question we got to come in and say is, why was, why was it sin? Why was what they were doing sinful? 
Why was this wrong? Why did God come and thwart their plans? And I, and I really see it, it breaks into two things, essentially. There's sins of omission, and there's sins of commission, right? You guys have heard this, you understand this concept. Uh, sin of omission is, hey, I'm supposed to do this, but I'm not going to do it, right? I omit it. I don't do it. Sins of commission are, I do things that I'm not supposed to do. I'm not supposed to do this, but I go and I do it. And, and it breaks into both of those categories in this. So let's begin by looking at the sin of omission here. As we saw in verse 9, God said very simply, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What was their response? Hey, we all kind of like each other. <laughs> let's hang out here together. Let's, let's gather in. Let's not be dispersed and fill the earth. Let's stay here. Let's congregate together and let's build a fortified city so that we don't have to spread out. And so they were in clear disobedience to God. And so this begins the exploration into our own hearts, right, as, it, as we look at this. How does this apply? Not, uh, because it's real easy. Do you guys remember this story from Sunday school growing up, or you, or you heard it? And, and if you're like me, I actually remembered, even going into the sermon preparation, the way I kind of remembered it is like, hey, there are these people that thought if they built a tower high enough, they could actually go up and be with God in heaven, right? That's kind of how I remembered it. That's kind of what I thought it said. And then when I come in here, when you read the text, that's not actually what it says. It doesn't say that they're, they're trying to build a stairway to get actually up to God. Uh, what you see is they actually don't want anything to do with God, right? <laughs> they want to build a tower that goes up into the heavens to make a name for themselves, right? So that they don't have to uh, be obedient to God, that they can, they can be their own gods in a sense. And so they're in strict disobedience. And so we've got to ask in our own lives, how am I, ere- how am I erecting a, a tower of Babel in my own heart, in my own life? How am I being disobedient to what God has called me to do in favor of my own plans and my own ideas, my own, my own structure of, of acceptance and identity, right? And so, uh, Angela, I love the, the example of, of her testimony, right? It said, why get baptized now? Well, well, because I've been growing closer to God, and I've been praying and saying, God, what do you want me to do? And he kept showing her over and over again in Scripture, hey, the first thing I want you to do is be obedient to what I've called you to in my word, <laughs> You're my follower, um, but you haven't been baptized as a believer. And, and so this is a first step of obedience for you. And then I can unfold and open up other steps of obedience. Um, but let's begin. Instead of sometimes we want God to give us like this incredible marching orders, right? We want him to come down in a dream or a vision and say, I want you to build an incredible temple into the field in the northwest quadrant at latitude three. Right? Like we we're like, oh, thank you, Lord. Now I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. But the reality is, is he's given us what he wants us to do in our life right here. I mean, if you've crossed this one off, if you can say, yeah, I got this, God, what's next? <laughs> then, then you're a bit more advanced than me or, or anyone that I've ever met, right? That you, you advance to a place of, of not needing. But, but the reality is that we need to come to God's word and say, God, what are you calling me to do? How are you calling me to be a faithful husband or a wife, a good parent, a good son or a daughter? A good student, how are you calling me to go into my school and represent Jesus in a completely uh, atheistic, pagan society and culture? How, how are you calling me to be a follower of Jesus in that situation? How are you calling me to minister to my next-door neighbor who has a completely different religious belief and philosophy than I do? Um, you know, what, what are the tasks that you laid out for me? The problem is for a lot of us that we just don't like the task God has given us, and so we go out seeking a different one that we like a little bit better, Right? And so the question is, is this, is this leading us towards, um, towards apathy, right? Is it, does it mean like, okay, you know, like, should I? No, I mean, look, look what God called them to do. <laughs> go out, 
be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Like, fill the earth, that's a pretty big task, right? Like, that's, not, that's, that's something that's going to take a little bit of effort and planning, and, and they're going to have to use their natural skills and abilities. Like, God has equipped them in a powerful way. Like, God's tasks that he lays out before us are a challenge. And, and sometimes we need to embrace the challenge that God has laid out rather than escaping from that and pursuing a different challenge that we prefer. Because the challenge we prefer is probably coming out of a different motivation than what God would want for us. So the sin of omission is they weren't being obedient to God. The sin of commission is that they were trying to make a name for themselves. Did you guys hear that in the, in the verse there when it said it? It said, let's do this so that all the people will look at us and be amazed and, and we'll make a name for ourselves when we die and our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids will remember this generation because we were the ones who built this amazing tower. Uh, we uh, share the Jesus Storybook Bible with our kids. This is a, we use this in our, in our kids' classes as well. Um, it just does a great job of, of communicating uh, God's truth. And listen to how, how they communicate it. Uh, in here it says, yes, they said. We'll say, look at us up here. And everyone will look up at us. And we'll look down on them. And then we'll know that we are something. We'll be like God. We'll be famous and safe and happy and everything will be all right. Anybody feel convicted by, is anybody else structuring their life around being famous and safe and happy and having everything be all right? I mean, isn't that what most of us are trying to pursue if we're honest in our life? Like, that's what we're really kind of going for. Uh, But the secret thing that we don't see in there is that if we have all those things, then what do we need God for at that point? (laughs) If we can accomplish all that on our own, where's our reliance and our faith in God, right? So they got to work. Brick by brick, the tower grew higher and higher until it soared above the city, touching the sky. They built stairs in the tower to climb to the top. It was like a giant staircase to heaven. Look, they cheered. We're the ones. See what we can do with our very own hands. They were quite pleased with themselves. But God wasn't pleased with them. God could see what they were doing. They were trying to live without him. But God knew that that wouldn't make them happy or safe or anything. If they kept on like this, they would only destroy themselves. And God loved them too much to let that happen. So he stopped their plans. Sometimes we think God's trying to keep us from having fun or trying to keep us from accomplishing what we really want. We think that he's that parent that's just saying, no, go to bed. You know, that's me. I I do that, right? And every night I like, I do a self-evaluation about 10 minutes after bedtime. And I'm like, did I put my kids to bed because I love them? Or did I put them to bed because I just want some time on my own, right? <laughs> so anybody else experience that, right? You have this, like, moral crisis of, man, like, I hope I'm being a good parent, but, but part of me is just selfish, right? But God's not like that. God is not selfish. He doesn't want us to do it just because, because he wants his way. He does it because he loves us. His perfect will blesses us in our lives. And here's the thing, that, that they're falling for the same lie that Lucifer fell for, Right? That if I can do this, I'll become like God. The same lie that he sold to Adam and Eve. If you eat of this fruit, you'll be just like God. You'll have his knowledge. You'll have his power. And then what? You won't need God anymore, right? And so every effort that we do to to build this tower, to get to God, to make ourselves acceptable, to make ourselves like God, ultimately will transition into getting beyond God getting into a place where we don't need God anymore. Because if we check off the whole list of things that we think we need to do to be acceptable by God, just like the Pharisees, we begin to think that we've got it figured out. We begin to think that, okay, I know, I, I know what I'm doing. Um, I'm actually, I don't even actually need Jesus to save me because I've saved myself. 
That's a horrible place to land. <laughs> it's a deception. It's a lie. And, and ultimately where it ends up is, is one of two places. Either we're uh, completely crushed and disappointed at our failure, or we deceive ourselves into thinking that we've actually pulled it off, that we've actually saved ourselves. But both of those end up crashing and burning in the long run. Now let's compare this uh, with the birth narrative that we see in Scripture. It's, it's, it's stunning how stark the contrast is between these two things. If you turn over to Matthew uh, chapter 1 in your Bibles. Genesis to Revelation today, guys. We're covering it all. We're getting the whole thing. Matthew chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 18. That's never the sign of a good sermon, by the way. <laughs> you covered Genesis to Revelation. You've probably been off more than you can chew, but time will tell how this one turns out. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He was born to the king and the queen at the top of the Tower of Babel in the most luxurious place possible, at the pinnacle of human creation. Right? Is that what the story is? No, right? When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And flip over to, to Luke uh, to fill in. Another angle on the account in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, says this. Uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lied him in a manger, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What a stark contrast between the aspirations of the people of Babel, right, to build this tower, uh, security, planning, um, just incredible... Uh, accomplishment that the world would envy and look at to the story of Mary and Joseph having the Savior of the world, right? In the most crazy conditions that you could imagine. I mean, uh, so much of the Bible you look at and you say, we have to know that this is true because nobody would make this up. It's, it's, so, it's so crazy the way that it happened, right? And so the question for us today is, which one of these does our life resemble? Are you trying to build the Tower of Babel in your life or are you trying to build the stable <laughs> where Jesus was born. If you were to objectively stand back and look at your hopes and your dreams and your aspirations and your accomplishments and everything that you're doing, do you see the picture of the tower, the gleaming golden tower shining high up into the heavens, or do you see the humble, lowly stable that was made available for the king of the world to come and to be born? 
Ezra, what does that mean? That's weird. Yeah, I know. So let me unpack that for you, right? There's three things that I, that I see. The tower is about making a name for yourself, or the stable is about glorifying God. The tower was completely designed in every way and facet, and look at their technology. Look how they're making these bricks out of, man, how do they even do that? How do they get the bricks together? How do they stack them up? Like, you can see it from miles away. You can see it, right? Everything was made to bring glory to the people of Babel. The stable would have been hard to find, right? (laughs) Uh, it, It was lowly. In fact, it wasn't even made to be the home, the birthplace of the king of the universe, right? It was made to, to feed and, and to house cattle and sheep. It was repurposed. And so what we learn from that is that your situation doesn't have to be perfect. So many of us, the story with so many people is they're like, yeah, I, I, I was waiting to get baptized until I was right with God. I was trying to get some things straightened out in my life before I gave my life to him and before I committed to him. And because I know that I'm just not ready to let go of this sin. Until I'm ready, I don't deserve to be baptized. I'm not ready. And yes, you need to let go of the sin, but none of us can clean ourselves up enough to be worthy, right? And so, so look at the situation that, that Mary and Joseph took. We have a, a pregnant w- woman who's engaged to be married to a man, and he knows it's not his baby. <laughs> then, as she's pregnant, ready to give birth, they find out that they have to do a cross-country trip, right? And, and whatever you, I mean, think about it. If you were told that you had to travel eight hours to your relatives, and your wife is super pregnant, <laughs> And you're like, ah, oh, we've got to get on the interstate, and there's only rest stops every so often, and the car only, the seat only reclines, right? Like, in our modern convenience, we would find that inconvenient. Think about for them in the situation that they were at, knowing that they would likely give birth in a, in a strange town. And Joseph failed to go on Travelocity and book the hotel. And so when they got there, there was no room. And they were given, uh, hey, here's this. You know, can you imagine Joseph going back to Mary and she's there waiting? And he comes out and he's like, well, here's the deal. There's a, a stable over here. <laughs> and I think there's a manger with some hay in it. <laughs> Maybe we could do that, you know? How do you think Mary received that, you know? We picture it with this golden globe, like, yes, Joseph, this is the way. It's, now, they were probably super stressed out. God's trusted us with his son, Emmanuel, the Savior, and this is the best we can do for him? We failed. We have bombed out, right? And so many of us in our lives, we feel like that. We're like, man, God, you called me to great things. You've, you've, you called me to salvation. I gave my life to you. But now look where I am. Look what I've done with it. I've just squandered it. I've wasted it. God, you can't do anything with me now. I'm just going to stand over here and kick imaginary stones until if I'm lucky, you'll come and get me. But I don't know, right? But, but no, the God is all about repurposing and, and we don't seek brokenness, but the more brokenness there is, the more that God is glorified in redeeming it for his purposes, right? You guys ever watch the show Chopped on Food Network or whatever it's on? I don't know what it is, right? So they give them a mystery basket. It's got four bizarre ingredients, right? Like here's candy canes, gingerbread, uh, some fish, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what, like pig's feet, right? And, and you got to make us an amazing meal from that. And the more bizarre the basket is, the more amazed the judges are when they turn it into this incredible meal. And that's what it looks like in our lives, that the more messed up, like, yeah, we've got, we, if you get to know anybody well enough, you get to know that everybody has a messed up family history. Everybody's got stuff. They've got junk in their life. Um, 
that they would not publicize on the front page. They're not posting about it on Facebook. Hey, guess up? <laughs> guess what messed up thing happened today, right? Like they're, they're not showing you that. They're not going to the worst messed up corner of their house. They're not opening up the drunk drawer and taking a picture of that and putting that on Facebook. Like check this out, right? We don't do that. But the reality is that God can take that brokenness, that messed up, like really bizarre situation, and he can use it for his glory if we have the humility to make it available to him. He doesn't want us to build the tower. He wants us to take the stable. And you might say, well, man, God, I've wasted all this time pursuing this thing over here. He's like, that's okay. I can repurpose that. I can redo that. That's the trend in design, right? Like, hey, look at this mantle. This actually used to be a, a Civil War era um, cannon, and I turned it into my mantle from a vibrator, right? And people were like, wow, that's amazing, right? Like, God does that, right? He repurposes. The tower is about making a name for yourself. The stable is about glorifying God with our brokenness. Second thing I see is the tower is about pride. The stable is about humility. The tower was being built for pride, that they could make a name for themselves, that everyone would come and admire what they had done. The stable was about embracing humility, right? The stable was about saying, like, hey, I don't have much to offer, but I'll give you what I got. It's, it's warm in here. There's a place to lay the baby. It's going to smell like animals a little bit, but, but it's available to you, God, to do what you want to do. If we follow the example of Christ, we're led to humility continually. If we follow our leader, our lives will be exhibited, exhibit humility. We won't be seeking to name, make a name for ourselves. Like, when I die, I don't care if there's a plaque out front that says, Ezra Strickhauser served as pastor from, from this date to this date. I, I don't want the plaque, right? I just want to leave the earth knowing that, that God's kingdom was expanded through the work that he allowed me to do in the time that I was here. I don't care if anybody remembers my name. I want people to remember the name of Jesus. That's how we're called to live. We tend to follow the example of our leaders, and the leader, the example that Jesus set was one of humility. The third thing that I see is that, is that the tower is built for royalty, for hierarchy, for the elite, right? That if you're building a tower with 89 floors or 100 floors or 200 floors, who gets the spot at the top, right? <laughs> yeah, I live in the tower, but I'm on floor six. It's like, eh. It's all right. You know, <laughs> I wish I was up there in the Trump, the Trump suite, right? Gold-plated, you know. Trump's not in the basement, right? He's on the top of the tower, right? That the, the elite go to the top. It creates a hierarchy, whereas the stable is for everyone, right? Anybody ever say to you, hey, were you, what's wrong with you? Were you born in a barn? Jesus would be like, Yeah. <laughs> I was born in a barn, right? Whatever your birth narrative, whatever your situation, wherever you came from, that the example has been set for us, that the stable is for everyone. No one is excluded. No one is not good enough. Oh, you're not from Babel? That's, that's the city where all the cool people are from, right? That's, a, that's the top. No. The salvation, that the gospel, that Jesus is for everyone. And so does your life exhibit that? Does your life say, hey, what I've got is available to you as well? And I want to give it to you. I want to share with you what I've experienced because this is for everyone. Or does your life structure demonstrate elitism and hierarchy and say no? Like, hey, if you work really hard, you might be able to, to come in behind me and pick up the scraps off of my table, right? So I want to challenge you that, that, that God is calling us. Because Emmanuel is God with us, it enables us to live this humble, available life that's, 
that's, that's for everyone, that as Christians, we don't pull back and say in our ivory tower, right? That's the accusation, right? <laughs> Just disconnect from the world and say, I'm glad I got the good news. Good luck, right? No, the gospel says, let's take this good news that is available to us and to everyone, and let's share it in humility, whether they know our name or not, for the glory of God. And that's why it was significant that Jesus came down to us, because we can't get up to him. We never will. We'll never, we'll never do it, no matter what efforts. And so it's a, it's a waste of effort to try and build the tower. Stop building the tower. <laughs> Let Jesus repurpose it into a stable or whatever he wants in your life to be used by him. And then he promises that he will come down. He already has to dwell among us. And the cool thing is that from Genesis to Revelation, that there was a story of God dwelling with man, sin separating man from God, and ultimately God's dwelling place will be with man. Once again, we're told in Revelation 21 that God's dwelling place will be with man. And listen to what it says in Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on throne and to the Lamb. The God was the one that dispersed them at Babel. He, he brought in the different languages. He separated them. And we're told in the end that he will bring all nations and languages and tribes together. Once again, they'll all be wearing white robes that, that the God that divided will be the God that unifies. He will be the one to bring us back together so that we can all proclaim his glory, and his goodness. You join me in prayer? Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be God with us, to reestablish the dwelling place of God with man, that the kingdom of heaven has come when we make our hearts available to you and we allow you to dwell within us and to to become the Lord of our lives, to take over your rightful place on the throne of our hearts. It's so significant that we realize that we can never do enough to get to you. That we're not trying to build a life that somehow will be made acceptable before your eyes, but rather we're coming and humbly, submissively laying everything that we've built at your feet and say, God, use this, the broken, the good, the bad, the ugly, Use it all for your glory. It's all available to you. I hold nothing back. Father, convict us in areas of our life where we're trying to build our own name. Convict us of areas where we are not obeying the things that you've laid out before us, the, the things that you've called us to do, and we're running away from them, like Jonah running away from Nineveh, that we're running from the things that you've called us to if, if there's some here who have a clear calling on their life and they've been running away from it, God, I pray that you would convict them today to step forward in obedience so that you can grow and, and, and do amazing things through a simple act of obedience. God, for, for those of us who are building structures that are, that are meant to glorify ourselves, I pray that you'll repurpose them into things that can glorify you. I pray that you'll give us a strong, healthy, godly ambition to accomplish the things that you've laid out before us. Your tasks are big enough for us, God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see you accomplish great things through us. But it will be for your glory, for your name, through your power, to advance your kingdom. Help us as a church 
just to honor you, God. And I pray that if there's any here who don't know you, who have not made you the Lord of their life, that today, that they would come in humility. They wouldn't wait to clean themselves up, but they would come today receive the free gift of salvation that you've offered. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.